Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the legend Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you feeling? Uh, I'm okay. A little under the weather, but um, I'll be all right. Uh, well, see, I'm under the weather. I got an excuse. I didn't shut my phone off. <laughs> Thank goodness I said I was under the weather. Otherwise, <laughs> you know, that would be uh, very a big boo-boo. Very, very <laughs> irresponsible, unprofessional. But yeah, I'm, I'm good. Talking to you makes me feel better. Seeing your friendly face with that smile and those pictures behind you, I feel better. Well, Thank I'm you. glad I can help. <laughs> you look yes. good. Thank you. We got a lot of boxing to talk about. Let's get into it. This, uh, this Saturday, we had the Errol Spence Danny Garcia pay per view card. Kicking it off on the undercard with um, <clears throat> Josezito Lopez and Francisco Chia Santana. Chia Santana, very good friend of our friend of the show, Andrew Cancio. Um, unfortunately for Chia, he took a pretty bad beating in this fight. Probably went on a few rounds too long. Just for reference, Chia's 25-9. and nine. 25-9-1, and one. Um, only two KOs, but he's 3-6 and six in his last nine. Only been stopped once in the last nine, and that was Saturday night against uh, Jose Zito, who really did a number on him. Um, a lot of talk about the ref in the corner, maybe letting it go too long there. Like I said, he really took a pounding. What did you see in that one, and what are your thoughts on the stoppage and the uh, length it took to actually get it stopped? I'm not known for mincing my words, so I'm not going to mince them now. I'm going to get right to it. This is a dangerous sport. Inherently, it's, a, it's got the potential of being uh, dangerous and uh, and possibly even life-threatening. Yeah, car racing does too. Football does too. But we're talking about UFC does too. Uh, MMA. Uh, the fighters know their risk. But you still have people in place to minimize those risks, to make sure that it doesn't go beyond the pale. That the fighters are protected the best they can be protected. They're looked out for. Those people are the cornermen, the trainer fighter, the doctor at ringside, and the referee. They didn't do their job. They didn't do their job. That fight should have been stopped earlier. It was, uh, it was conclusive what, what was happening. It wasn't going to change. He was just going to take more and more and more punishment. And that's how guys get hurt. You know, if a guy gets knocked out, you whoa, I hope he's all right. Yeah, but it's one shot. But when a guy takes an accumulation of punches all night long, that's where, that's where the most danger lies in injuries, usually with head injuries. And it just, it bothered me. And that's why I'm talking about it. It bothered me that they didn't do their job. The fighter did his job. He behaved like a fighter. The corner didn't do this. The, the referee didn't do this. And when someone doesn't do their job, I'm, I'm going to put it in a very, very clear way for everybody to understand what I think should be understood here. If you didn't drive your car right and you had accidents and you imperiled people on the road, what would happen, Ken? What would happen? Lose your license. There it is. You lose your license. A license is not a privilege. It is a privilege. It's not a guarantee. It's not a, it's not a right. It's not a right. It's a privilege. You have to earn it. 
you have to earn it. You have to pass tests. You have to be qualified. You have to show you know how to drive. Well, the same thing with a license supposedly in boxing. You're supposed to know that, you're supposed to show that you know what's most important, the welfare of your fighter, how to train your fighter properly, hopefully, although there's a lot of guys that don't know how, quite frankly, but, and how to protect them when the time comes to protect them. And when you no longer show these qualifications, these abilities, you no longer should have a license. You no longer, you said it, you no longer can show those abilities out on the road behind the wheel, should have your license taken away. I think that the people in the corner should have their license taken away. I think that the referee should have his license taken away. I know people are going to say, gee, you're being strong. I want to ask you people, if you think of being strong, what do you think I'm supposed to be in a business that is strong? A business that's unforgiving. A business where sometimes there's no second chances to get it right. To come back and say, yeah, you know what? I'll be more careful next time. I'll be more cognizant of those things. I'll be more aware. No, no. Sometimes you get one chance for that. And I just think something, we don't, in boxing, we don't have a czar. We don't have a national commission. We've been over that before, like the other sports. I tell you one thing, if another, if a referee, an umpire, a judge in any of the other major sports uh, behave the way that some of the officials and cornermen, you know, coaches perform in boxing. They wouldn't be in the NFL, the NBA, MLB too long. They wouldn't be. It wouldn't be tolerated. It would be observed by the people that observe such thing, the commission, and they say, wait a minute, this, you, you, you're not qualified to have this position. You're getting guys hurt. You're putting running backs or quarterbacks uh, back into games when they've been concussed. You know, I'm, I'm just saying, if that was one of the things that could be going wrong in the NFL, now of course they have a protocol in place where they're on top of that stuff like never before, but that's what I'm talking about. Be on, stop, be on top of all those things in boxing like never before. And quite frankly, it should have been before, but I can't change that. I can only change going forward. And that's why I put my words out there the way I do in a strong form that I do, that somebody needs to hold these people accountable. Same way as when these judges rob a fighter, which happens every week. <laughs> we make a big deal if it happens with a, you know, a popular fighter, a marquee fighter. Oh, you know, we make a big deal. But what about when it happens with an eight-round kid, a 10-round kid out of town, a six-round kid out of town who's building up and wants to get to that place like the Mayweathers and everybody else that are the big stars, you know? When you say that, I think of that kid Ray Robinson from Philly. He got a, a draw against Mean Machine and a draw against um, Josh Kelly, I think, from the UK. Two fights that I thought he won. We were at the fights, and I was like, this kid got robbed again, two in a row. Draws against the A-side. And you know if they gave him a draw, he probably won a one-sided. And, I, and I, you're right. And he, that's a kid 
who's taken his lumps. That's a kid who's, you know, he's he's earned, <laughs> he's earned his way. You know, uh, that's a kid that if he gets those wins, he gets to where he wants to get to, to make better chance to make money, to get a title shot, to get to the big time. I mean, that's why that's why they're there. Mean Machine's next fight after the draw to Robinson, I think, was against Terrence Crawford. Well, at least one or two fights later. Yes. That could have been potentially Ray Robinson. Yes. And exactly. You switch places. So when you rob a kid, it's more than just seeing that kid shed a couple tears that night in the ring or shake his head and look around, you know, for somebody to say something. It's more than that. It's what you're doing to this kid that's been in the business probably 15 years. <laughs> they, they, most of these kids start boxing when they're like 10, 11, you know? And then they, they get to, you're talking about being 26, 7, 8, 9, Robinson's in that age group. You're talking about 15 years in the business already. 15 years of taking punches, 15 years of trying to get to that place, you know? So you're not seeing that when you see him cry a couple tears. You're not seeing that he's got to go back now to taking more punches, back to the gym, back to the, you know, the back of the line. Hope you can get another win so you can propel yourself back to where you are already, where you should have been. And have to take all those, all that punishment, all that risk again when you're already there. It's, it's, it's not fair to the kid. It's not fair to his family who's dependent on him, who he's doing it for in many cases. You know, it's sometimes I understand. And I didn't think I'd ever say this on one of my, on a show that I do. But sometimes I understand why a writer uh, once named this business an ugly, a beautiful sickness. A beautiful sickness. And the sickness would exist in that phrase for him to say that is just the inequities, the unfairness. Not the fairness of man against man. That's the beautiful part. That's the beautiful part, to find out what they are, to teach us what we can be, what someone can be when they're determined enough, trained enough, pushed enough, you know, for them to find out, to go on a search, to see how, how good they can be, how great they can be. You know, those things are the beauty. The sickness is the people, the people outside the sport, the people that are on the peripheral of the sport, the executives, the so-called, you know, protectors of the sport, the so-called administrators of the sport. That's where the sickness comes in. That's where it becomes tainted. That's where it becomes... That's where it becomes ugly, is when you see that, when you feel that, and you witness it over and over again. But in this case, I just, I thought 
just a horrible job by people that are supposed to do their job. The fighter, as I said at the beginning of this, the fighter did his job, did his job. The thing that also should be considered is that um, when I saw the matchup, I thought it was, I thought um, Santana was overmatched with Jose Zito and he's coming off of two basically one-sided beatdowns against Abel Ramos and Jarrett Hurd. Unanimous decision losses, got beat up. He's clearly got a chin. Like I said, he's got nine losses. That was only the second time he'd been stopped. The ref in the corner should be considering that he's at the end of his career. I know that after the last fight, they were talking about retirement. They clearly got another payday against Lopez. They should have recognized early either the ref or the corner to say, you know what? Good run. We got the fight in. Let's stop it now. Because he clearly has a chin and can take a pounding, which he did. And uh, unfortunate there. But, um, you know, the all, I'll finish. I'll piggyback off of that, Ken. Finish with this. It goes to the old axiom in this business. When fighters are brave, the way we all want them to be, we all want them to be that. We want to have something to cheer for, something to connect and hope that, as I said earlier, that when we face whatever it is that we have to face in life, that we could have that courage to face it. So when they show that, all the things that we, when, when we put the TV on, when we put our credit card down for a ticket that we hope they show. We hope there's someone there to protect them from themselves. You've heard that axiom in the business. When, they, when you got a fighter that brave, that much of a warrior mentality, there must be someone there to protect them from themselves. And there was no one there. All right, so before the Josezito Lopez-Santana fight, we had Eduardo Ramirez and Miguel Flores. Hell of a fight through four rounds at the opening of the fifth. Ramirez hits him with a beautiful right, busts his lip real bad, drops him. Um, Flores got up before the 10 count, but was clearly staggering around the ring. They waved it off. Excellent fight until the stoppage. Incredible stoppage for Ramirez. What'd you see in that one? The thing I saw in that one was... Good instincts, good technique, good IQ, being calm enough for Ramirez to recognize how he was going to set up that right hook. And the right hook quite often can be the devastating punch when you're facing a southpaw because it's coming from an angle where your peripheral doesn't pick it up sometimes. You know, here you can pick it up, but coming from there, sometimes the peripheral, so it could be a very, very dangerous punch coming from a southpaw. And the way he set it up is what I was impressed with. It wasn't just the fact he landed a good punch. I see guys land a good punch, but why? That's always me. I'm always looking, why? Why did he land it? Because he used a throwaway punch. He threw his left hand, it didn't even land. Boom, just, just to set him up, just as a throwaway to distract him, just a little bit. That's the science. That's what I like. That's, that's where the sweet science comes in. Where you just, boom, boom. And, just, and, and it goes back in the annals of, of, this, of the great history of this sport. You, 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 the, the good fighters, you could always find it. Rocky Marciano, when he knocked out Jersey Joe Walcott, the great Jersey Joe Walcott. What a great fighter. 
He knocked him out in the 13th round. He was behind on all the scorecards, Rocky. And he needed to land the perfect punch because he had already landed his Susie Q, <laughs> the, the right hand that they named Susie Q. He had already landed that, his left hook, but Walcott had absorbed it. And now, and boy, the punches Marciano absorbed. What a chin. That's why they called him the Rock, I guess. But now, in the 13th round, when he had to land the perfect punch, he had to do something a little different, a little trickier, a little higher level. He had to distract the great champion, Walcott, just a little bit, get his eyes to go the wrong place so he could land a punch that's not seen. He could land a blind punch to have the effect he needed it to have. So what did he do? He started the left, boom, and he threw the right. Started the left just a little bit, boom, and he threw the right, bang. If you look at it close, you could see Walcott's eyes. They had transported themselves a little over to his right where the left hand had gotten his attention just a little bit. Those are the things that I, I you know, I hope that the, that I can help a little tiny, tiny bit for the fans to appreciate those special moments of these special fighters to be calm enough in an uncalm place, in a chaotic, chaotic place, a crazy place in a ring where, you know, you're basically fighting for your, for your life and be calm enough to think in those terms and to recognize the things, to execute what needs to be executed under that kind of pressure. I just, it's, it's, a, it's what makes the sport great and what makes these guys great. And, that, and I wish there were more guys like Mike Silver, the great historian out there, and other guys. Russell Peltz, a great promoter, but he's a good historian. And there's some others, but I wish there was, well, Mike Silver's written books, so you can catch his books. But I wish there was more people to bring the history of the sport that's been around over 200 years. You can forget about how far back you can go. But it's been around longer than any other sport. Baseball, we know about the old timers because it's put out there. Football, of course, isn't around as long. But we know about the history of football and basketball and hockey. But boxing, there's not enough places that make the history of these great fighters, what they were, where they came from, how they became, to make it available to the young people. It's not enough out there. I wish there was. And I'll continue to do my little part to put it out there. Very good. That brings us to the main event, Errol Spence, Danny Garcia. Errol Spence looks fantastic. Knocked, clearly knocked off whatever ring rust he might have had since his car accident a year and a half ago. Uh, beat Danny Garcia pretty convincingly. Credit to Danny, Danny Garcia. I feel like that, that's a kid who gets every ounce of his talent out of himself. I just think he was way overmatched with a more athletic, physically gifted, bigger Errol Spence, who looked awesome, um, which you would hope would set up a Terrence Crawford fight. I don't think it'll happen for at least a year, but... It would be nice to think it could happen. Um, what'd you see in that one? I saw a high-level concentration. I saw an exorcism, too, um, where Spence 
exercise the ghost, the potential ghost. I'm not even going to say potential. I'm sure they were there. He's human, right? Yeah, he is. He's a tough human, but he's human. He knows how to fight, but he's still human. And there were ghosts there after his life passed in front of him. I mean, you get thrown from a car going, what was it, 180 miles an hour, whatever it was, right? And you get flipped out, thrown out of the car. It tumbles, what, five times? Yeah. And you get thrown out of the car. You're supposed to be dead. Yep. All right? Uh, people out there, oh, Teddy, you know, no, no, that's strong. Thank God he's not. But there's a, chances are, if you do that another time, you're dead. And when that happens, it changes people. It does. Sometimes you hear an athlete, you hear a businessman even, something like that happens, a near-death experience. They, what do they say, Ken? They say, you know what? I realize now there's more important things in life. They're human. You almost feel better that you hear that, that they are human. <clears throat> and you hear that. How can you not think that some of that could be going on with, you know, with Errol Spence? And from all, everything I see about him, he's a good person too. So he a guy that has that kind of physical, emotional experience. And you just know that he's going to get past that. There's ghosts to be exercised. He exercised them. And the way he did it was a high level of concentration, commitment. He went right back, got on the horse, went back to training once he healed up, committed himself, right, like he always does. And you can concentrate true things. People out there in the world that are in boxes, but you listen to our show, you can always raise. We always talk about raising our level of performance physically. You can raise it this way. You can raise it by being aware of what you need to be aware of. Being aware that you have to keep the wolves from coming through the door. You know, whatever that wolf is that represents itself in your life with your problems, your doubts, your struggles, whatever it is, raise that level of concentration. Don't give in to it because sometimes the thing is that we give in to it. We, we give in to it because, you know, sometimes it's human nature not to think about something if it's not pleasant. Yeah, you know, to survive it. Put it off. Ignore it. Sometimes people are supposed to be doing studying. I know kids that I'm talking <laughs> to right now. I hope you're listening. Some of them that I try to talk to sometimes that are supposed to be getting ready for a test and they're not on certain days. It's not because they're lazy. It's because they're not sure of themselves. They don't want to remind themselves of what's coming. So the best thing that, is, that I take from it is Spence, he knew what was coming, and he raised his level of preparation, his level of awareness of what was coming, of concentration for what was coming. And he, was, he got ready. You could see it. You could feel it, the intensity, the concentration, the focus. You could see it. You could see the seriousness of them before and in there. At every round, that focus was like a, 
like a laser. It, it didn't fluctuate at all. Every round. So I, I wanted to say that just for our good people out there that you're getting ready for your fight. You're getting ready for your battles. Maybe you lost a couple rounds. What can I do? What can I do? Raise your level of focus. Raise your level of concentration. Your level of commitment. And face what's coming and what's been there and going to be there again. Don't put it off. And that's what he did. And he was the boss. He was aggressive, intelligently aggressive, effective aggression behind the jam, southpaw jam, the right jam. He was, he did everything, by, and he understood why. It, it's good technique. It's good, solid fundamentals to push behind your jab, keep the, like I used to say on ESPN broadcasting the fights, put bugs on the other guy's windshield. <laughs> you know, make it hard for him to see. And so it's just fundamentally right to come in pressing behind the jab. Keep the guy busy. Make it safe as you come in. But there was another part to it where he's got a good trainer too, by the way, where you can see he's taught him the nuts and bolts that he should have for a career. And he, he also used to jab and kept that concentration because he knew he had a counterpuncher. And counterpunchers want you to help them. Make yourself available where they can counter something. But when you're jabbing, let me tell you, that's, that's kryptonite to a counterpuncher if you know how to jab at the right distance. Kryptonite. That's, you know, they don't want to see that. They don't, they don't, they don't want to see that. And so you, when, you, when you're using your jab against a counterpuncher and you're keeping them at the end of it, you're giving them nothing to counter. You're taking their game away. You're taking, you're taking what they've trained to do for years. You've taken it away from them. Now you got to make them find something else. You got to make them find a way to create offense on the front end instead of the back end, because that's what counterpunches do. They create it on the back end or for your mistake, your overaggression, your reckless aggression sometimes. So he was smart in so many ways. He being, of course, Spence, he, he kept him at the end of his jab where there was nothing to counter. The counterpuncher could Now it was up to the counterpuncher. Hey, I'll get right to it. It was up to the father, the trainer, to teach him that in the gym. Not in the corner. And I'm not here to knock the father. But I'm here to say whatever's within that sphere of things that contributed to what we saw for me to bring it out and to be honest about it. You can't yell and say, hey, throw punches. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's a little more to that. Because if you just throw punches, what are you landing? The guy's hitting you with the jab. And now you're just throwing reckless punches or just punches for the sake of throwing punches. If it was that simple, don't you think that there'd be a lot more people in the in the championship realms that are just guys that 
know how to throw punches, but they don't know how to move their head. They don't know how to throw at the right time. They don't know how to dis- make a distinction of which punches from which distance. Boy, it'd be a lot crowded, more crowded in those championship quarters if it was just about throwing punches. You know, if it's just about being physically strong, guys, where you live somewhere around there, Venice Beach, <laughs> those guys with the, you know, they, they, they'd be doing pretty good. But it's not about just these muscles. You know what? Nate Robinson's trainer told them the same thing. Just get in there and throw punches. And it's dangerous, Ken. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. You know, if you know what, make what is ridiculous and absurd in the business but if you don't then then it's just something you're saying you there's no responsibility attached to it because you can say whatever you want because you don't want you're not living in the real world in the real realm of of what matters in that world but again the father wanted to yell at him he should have yelled him in the gym teaching him what needed to be done because you knew what was coming that's a good point. You know, a, a good, solid fighter who's aggressive that comes up behind the jab is coming. You're going to have to find a way. You know the fight you've lost, you didn't throw enough punches. So you knew, or you should have known, that you had to figure out another offensive option to counterpunch him. Another way to create, as I said earlier, offense on the front end instead of depending on the back end. And that means using your jab. That would be one way, using your jab. And obviously he hasn't learned that. Now listen, part of it is his temperament. You are what you are. His temperament is to be a thoughtful, cautious, a little bit, you know, guy. I mean, when he had to go for broke, he did in the last few seconds, but he knew it was the last few seconds. You a lot of people get fooled by oh why didn't he do one of the comments? <laughs> why didn't he do that? Huh? Why didn't he do that from the beginning? Because it's not his temperament, buddy. Because that's not him. You have to change that, and it's hard to change the temperament. It takes work, but it but it takes place in the gym, way ahead of the night of the fight, and that wasn't done. So. You know, people told me that afterwards in the press conference, the father, you know, said, hey, what are you going to do? You know, put it all on the son. All right. You know, they love each other. I get it. But put it all on the son. What are you going to do? He don't listen. You know, <laughs> you don't want to listen. Well, maybe if you, again, maybe if you showed him in the gym way before that night, maybe, maybe he would have been able to do it, you know? Um Nobody wants to be in a position where they wound up being in that night having lost because you didn't have the proper answers. Nobody wants to be in that position. So, you know, again, uh, I know somebody told me Danny Garcia, the only thing he said, he wouldn't disrespect his father. He just said it's easier said than done. Yeah. And, you know, and and look, that's a good kid. And uh, I'm sure the father's a good father. I have no reason to believe he's not, but that doesn't mean he's a good trainer. And, uh, you know, he's done a good job getting him for helping get the kid to where he's gotten. But, you know, sometimes it's a, it's a combination of getting the right experience, learning, and 
you know, Kush used to say that some of these guys that have hundreds of amateur fights, Danny didn't have hundreds, but he had a good amount. He had probably about 100 good amateur. Uh, but some of these kids that have hundreds of amateur fights, Kush used to say, you know, they make it despite of the trade. You know, not, not <laughs> yeah. always because, you know, because they learn from all that experience, starting young, they, you know, and, and they pick up things and they learn. And listen, I'm not saying the father didn't help him. I, I, I said that already. He, he did a good job to get him there. But now he's at a, at a different place where with these level fighters, they're not, you know, and I don't want to call them a, a complete one-trick pony, but you got to have other tricks, you know, when you're talking about being at that level, more than just being a good counter puncher. But at the end of the day, Spence was brilliant. He, he was consistent. He, he came in behind the jab. He knew why he was doing it behind the jab. Uh, he set the table with the right jab, and he ate with the left hand all night long. He went to the body, which was smart because I'm sure in his mind, let me, let me put enough water in the basement, you know, early, where later on when Danny's going to try to make a run because he's going to be behind, and he's going to try to make a run like he did with Thurman, he won't have as much left to make that run. That's brilliant. That's yeah. brilliant. That's thinking ahead. That's, that's brilliant. And so, you know, he covered all bases. He showed that he's one of the best pound for, you know, in the top three or so uh, in the world today. He, uh, uh, the only thing I saw him do wrong in spots was a couple of spots he was pulling, he was pulling straight back from too close where he was almost getting clipped, or he did get clipped a couple of times from a little too close. But the funny thing was I tweeted during a, during a fight. I do that, you know, now you heard about that. And <laughs> you were on fire I, with the tweets this weekend. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a tweeting. <laughs> we're at <bird>. overtime. <laughs> I'm a tweeting maniac. Me and Rob. I read it. He sends it. And <laughs> thank you. But I, I tweeted that we all know that Danny's, you know, Sunday punches the left hook. But right now he needs the right hand against the southpaw. He needs he needs the right hand because there's no opportunity right now for left hook. He's going to need the right hand. And uh, he tried it. He tried it. But wasn't uh, – Spence was too good. He was too consistent, uh, too solid all night long. And I'll say one other thing about it that nobody else has mentioned. But for me – We've seen this fight before. You're going to say, where, Ted? But we've seen this before, Ken, and you good people out there. Same thing as Mikey Garcia. Now, I know people are going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, Mikey Garcia was smaller. Danny Garcia, Mikey Garcia was smaller. He's a junior welterweight. Danny Garcia was a junior welterweight. People forgot. He was a junior. So he's naturally the smaller guy. Not making, I'm not taking nothing away from anybody here. Or making excuses. I'm pointing out facts that. So a lot of people say the way he took Mikey Garcia apart, you can't compare it because he was smaller. Yes, you can. Not only because of what I just said that they were both really naturally small guys, but they were both counterpunchers. Mikey Garcia's best option in the ring is to counterpunch. He was forced to come forward. Because of the jab, 
of Spence giving him nothing to counter. So very similar. It was almost like the Mikey Garcia one was sort of a dress rehearsal for this fight. If you look at it, he took him apart piece by piece. Very similar. And it all started with the jab, not allowing him to counterpunch, forcing him to have to, you know, come forward for us and Mikey Garcia. And just like Danny, he showed a lot of heart, but forcing him to come out of character and have to come forward. So very, for me, it was like I was watching that fight again. It's always interesting to me to see Errol in the ring versus in between fights. I've, I've spoken with him a few times at different events. He is a big, big kid. When he's in between fights, I wouldn't be surprised if he's as heavy as 180. He's huge. He's a big he, welter. He's a really yes. big welter. But he, he looks really great is. in the ring. I mean, he gets ripped. He doesn't look drawn. He looks just strong. Yeah, there's, no, there's nothing extra there. He, he, you're right. He's a big, he's a load. He's a big welter. And, um, and, and he's, he doesn't get enough credit for being what he is as a fighter. He's so well-rounded. His coach has done a good job. He's so untaught him those fundamentals. And uh, I know he had the, you know, the experience, the great experience of being an Olympian, all that stuff. But uh, what to finish up, if people are going to, because maybe people say, Teddy, you just, you know, you pointed out that the father should have showed him something or had him ready to do more than wait for the counters. What should it have been? I have to have that answer. Otherwise, I shouldn't open this up to be pointing things out that he should have, he should have known what to do if I don't know. First of all, he should have matched Spence with his jab. I know people are going to say, well, Spence is longer. It's better. I, I get it. It don't matter. If you're smart, you know what you're doing. Match the guy with the jab. Don't let him just have his way. He had his way with the jab. He did. Don't let him match him. If you can't match him, come as close to it as possible. But do something to deter his dominance with his jab. A little slip, pop, pop. Mike Tyson was smaller than everybody. And he out-jabbed everybody when it was Mike Tyson. Why? Because he knew to slip, take away the reach, bop, bop, and you could jab right inside it. Straight, hard, accurate. So that's the first thing for me would have been match his jab, take his jab away. Do something to take his jab away. And uh, that would have been, I'll give one other thing he could have done to take it away. Match it with your own jab. I just said that. And being that he's a southpaw, see if you can sneak a left hook every once in a while. Time it. It's all about timing. Slip over, throw it, or time the left hook every once in a while just to deter him from being so brazen with the jab where he didn't even have to think about bound, 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 bound. Where he would have, oh, well, I better be a little thoughtful. Make him a, give him a little trepidation, something to think about. And as I said, use your jab. But um, anyway, those would have been a couple of the things that I would have tried to implore into some kind of game plan. And again, you got to do your job in the corner the night off. 
you got to recognize what's going on, what's going wrong. You got to point it out to your fighter. You got to get in his, get into him a little if you need to, pick him up. Um, you got to be ready to do those things in the corner, no doubt about it. But you got to do your job before the corner. That's where the real bulk of the work has been done, Ken. You know that. It's yeah. got to be done in the camp where those things, you can't start telling a guy, all right, now I want you to take his jab away. Where'd that come from? <laughs> like, uh, all right, you want to teach me now? <laughs> you know, so that's this. Hey, listen, it's uh, thinking about Holyfield for a second. It's the real deal. It's the real deal. I mean, that's, you know, this is a tough business. It's, it's, it's the real deal. Curious to see what's next for Spence. I oh, would one imagine. other thing. Yeah, go ahead. One other thing. I don't know where these judges got four rounds to give to uh, Garcia. I could give him two. Yeah. I could give him two. But I, uh, last I counted, four is double two. <laughs> one, two, three. It's, dub- yeah, it's double two. I, I, again, the judges, four, I, I, I don't see it. I don't see it. But um, eh, anyway, thank goodness it didn't get crazier than that. Curious to see what's next for Spence. I would imagine the way that they were talking, it's uh, Pacquiao or maybe Keith Thurman. They're all PBC guys <clears throat> with Errol Spence, clearly at odds with uh, Bob Arum and top rank. But interestingly, um, Crawford was at the fight and they actually acknowledged him on the PBC graphics as a welterweight champ. For a long time, they wouldn't even show him as a belt holder in the welterweight division. Yeah, because he's getting close to leaving top rank. Exactly. It's funny. You can feel the tide shifting that it almost feels like they're courting him at PBC. Like, yeah, yeah Terrence, get out of there. Bob's not doing you right. We've got you covered. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, but um, I, I'll tell you what I don't want to see, though, Ken. I have to, I have to say this. I do want to see, obviously, like everybody does. I want to see Crawford, those two guys. That's what I want to see. Um. What I don't want to see, I don't want to see Pacquiao. Yeah. Because PPC, you know, they have him still. And in the meantime, in the interim, they could make, you know, it's a big name. Hey, Pacquiao's a legend. He's, a, he's iconic for a lot of reasons. He's one of the few fighters that fits almost into the realm of Muhammad Ali, where he's like, Iconic for what he's done outside the ring as well as inside the ring. He has, you know, he has crossed over um, beyond just the ring ropes of what he's accomplished in that squared circle, you know, because of his impact in different ways in the world, in social ways, in world ways. Um, like Ali, you know, he, he's changed. I mean, he's given hope to millions of Filipinos. He's carried them. He's lifted them up by his accomplishments, by what he means to them. And, and more than that, he's gone into his pocket and, and taken care of thousands, thousands of people. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's a special guy. And like I said, for more reasons than all the titles he's won in the ring. And he's great in the ring. He, 
he's one of the greatest combinations of speed and power I've ever seen. And to carry with him in so many weight classes, I don't know. That I have, somebody's going to explain it to me someday. But um, put that aside, I, <laughs> he's a special guy. And he's, he's, a, he's a guy that should be rooted for. He's a guy that really, you have to respect a guy like that for what he's done. And for others, not just himself. And how he's used his podium, his platform, his success to help his people. And again, to give them hope that if I can make it, I mean, he grew up on dirt floors. If I can make it, you can make it. And then go out there and actually, like I said earlier, go in his pocket and, and help people that, that are in urgent, urgent situations. So I, I, I just don't want to see, at 43 years of age, I don't want to see Pacquiao in with a guy like Crawford. In with Spence, not Crawford. Yeah, Spence, I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't want to see him in there with, I mean, Pacquiao started, he was like 105 pounds. And he's moved all the way up to all the, you know, his first title might have been Bantam or lower than Bantam, whatever it was. And he's won all these titles. Okay. But at this age, at this point in his life, I don't want to see him in there with a strong, destructive, destroying machine like Spence. If it was seven years ago, hey, let's, let's get it on, like somebody says. Let's get it on, the great Mills Lane. But now, no, that's a recipe for disaster. Um, for Pacquiao at this, at this point. I know he beat Thurman. I know he always comes up somehow. He's really something, isn't he? He comes up somehow to pull, pull one out of the hat when you don't think he could. Uh, you know? But this one would be, this one would be very, very, very risky and difficult. And I just don't want to see him go out that way or the potential of them going out that way. Um, I know. Uh, I, I, I have admiration for both fights. I just said it. Spence and him. But I just don't want to see him go. And I know it happens in this sport. It happened to the great Joe Lewis. For me, the greatest heavyweight of all time. Ali's right behind him. But, and I know it happened to the great Ali. And it's, but it doesn't make it any better when it happens again. You know, and I just, I don't want to, and again, Pacquiao has shown a remarkable renaissance and, <laughs> you know, youth uh, at this point, an Indian summer, if you will, of his career. I get it, but, you know, all things do end, right? They do. And I think that could be a bad end. So I don't want to see that to just to make money to, to while we're waiting. I want to see one fight. I think I speak for all the fans out there. I want to see Pacquiao and Crawford. Spence and Crawford. Uh, Spence, uh, yeah, Spence and Crawford. I don't want to see Pacquiao and Crawford either. Um, that's what I want to see. And hopefully, hopefully we will. You know, it's it's going to take probably 
it's probably going to take him leave him top rank, which it sounds like the contract is up somewhere around seven months, somewhere in that area, somewhere in 2021. Yeah, should be interesting. Well, let's get to a fight coming up this weekend. Uh, this uh, fight analysis brought to you by MyBookie. Check them out at mybookie.ag. Use the promo code ATLAS for 100% credit on your first deposit. So you deposit 1000 They'll match you with 1000 You'll have two grand to play with. Check them out, mybookie.ag. Use the promo code ATLAS, A-T-L-A-S. Teddy, let's talk about Anthony Joshua versus the Kissin' Bandit, Kubrat Pulev. Uh, big fight over in London. Um, what do you think? What are you looking for? Pulev is 39 years old, people. I say it again, he's 39. He, was a, he had an extensive amateur career. You, you start to get old. He has not been what... He's, he's still a top rank, right? I think so. Yeah, top rank signed him. I just want to be positive. Rob could check that just to make sure I'm not on the air. He's already so on it. One sec. Yeah. But uh, he's not what the people who signed him thought he was going to be when they signed him, you know, being with the amateur credentials. Because that's why you sign guys, with their amateur credentials for the most part. What they want, you're hoping that projects into their, you know, professional careers and quite often it does sometimes it does and yeah he's with top rank yeah top rank when they signed him they thought it was going to be better than he's looked to be he, he's had the one big fight of course that was some years ago with uh klitschko for the title klitschko knocked him out and he's obviously got that one loss that's the only loss he has he hasn't been impressive in a lot of fights. Now, having said that, he's a big guy. Um, he can punch a little bit. He has all that amateur experience. This is his last, this is it. This is it, 39 years old. This is it. And um, so he's got all that. And here's the key. He's got the chance for the title against the guy who the last time he was in the ring, Joshua, made a magnificent comeback. I'm going to start with that. By getting the title back from John Ruiz. Andy Ruiz. Hey, I'm sorry, Andy Ruiz. John Ruiz was the kid from Boston. John Ruiz, the great Somerville heavyweight world champ. Yep, of course you. Of course. <laughs> so... You have Joshua, who all the credit in the world, coming from yours truly, reinvented himself physically and technically to take the title back from Andy Ruiz. He did. He, he fought completely. Instead of a guy's digging into the ground and in front of you looking to punch and you know control you, and like I said, hold the, the footing in the ground and you know use that strength always set to punch he suddenly became a version of muhammad ali you know not that anyone's a version of ali but he started to move he, he boxed and his whole body had changed i mean he was slimmer sleeker whatever the reason is but they they changed something 
change their approach of training, whatever, weights, diet. And he wins the fight handily. But if you were back that night of Joshua, and if you were one of the people that's calling, your, your heart was here all night, right here, <laughs> in your throat, because he looked fragile. Anyone who argues that you're just being a fan, be honest, calm yourself down. Come on, come back to me. Come back to me, you. Uh, you lovely people from across the pond. I'm not knocking a guy. I'm pointing things out. I just gave him credit. But if you can't see how fragile he was mentally, like every time he got touched, you, you were worried. Whether it was, it was like when you got yelled at for going near your mother's good china. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, Ken? I mean, yeah. you know, right? I mean, don't go near that. That's a very good point. He looked very gun shy when he was getting into exchanges with Ruiz in that fight. He looked good, but your, to your point, perfectly. He definitely looked tentative. He looked fragile, and I don't know if he's going to be less fragile one year later. No other fights. A year later, because of the COVID, right? Like everybody, right? Everybody's fighting off inactivity, so that's even. But here he is. Not everybody was in the mental state he was. Here he is a guy who was, you know, just trying to find his way back, and, and he did a good job. But a guy fragile like that, that uh, is he going to be more together a year later? Maybe. That gives Pulev a chance. Otherwise, what's the line? What, what's the line? You got the line? The minus 870 on AJ, plus 620 on Pulev. Yeah, there's a reason why it's a big line. Joshua's a big favorite. And it's over there, you know, it's, it's over in, uh, across the pond, right? Um, yep. that's, that's where they're in Wembley, I believe. So the thing, the one X factor is Pulev hasn't looked great, but he is a big guy. He did have all that amateur experience. He's 39. That's the downside of it. He's already been knocked out by Klitschko, but that was some years ago. You know, you can say Joshua was knocked out too. Yeah, they even it that way. Joshua got knocked out by Ruiz. But Pulev's a guy, he's right in front of you. You don't have to go looking for him. He's right there. I don't like the way he you can walk in and hit him with left hooks and sometimes with right here. He doesn't he, he stands too straight up sometimes. And he doesn't seem to react to punches quick enough sometimes where you can get shots in. So I think there's an opportunity for Joshua to get those shots in, to possibly knock him out. It's going to come down to Joshua's frame of mind again. It's the frame of mind to box. Is he still at that place where he's going to box the way he did, which I would venture that that's what he did. So he's, he transformed himself into that guy. I would say that, is he going to stay that guy? Was he going to go back to a mix of the other guy? I don't, I don't know. But for this fight, um, but if he's that guy, for me the question is: Is he going to be that guy who's going to box and keep Pulev off balance and pick spots? If he does that, I think he's going to win the fight. Probably a decision. Maybe he'll drop Pulev later in the fight and start feeling confident and sit down more, and maybe he'll go to him a little and get rid of him. 
I'll take him to win a decision or do something late if he's going to box. But if he's going to be right in front of him, set a little bit more, which he could do too. He he could knock out Pulev that way. He can catch him. But Pulev, I have a chance to catch him. Uh, and because from the offensive side, Pulev, you know, if you if you'll if he's allowed to get to that place where, you know, he's undeterred, he can rip off some punches. So, and again, he'll be ripping off against the Joshua who the last time we saw him in the ring looked like a guy that you just didn't know how he was going to handle when punches come at him. So that's the X factor. That's that's the reason why, if you wanted to throw a couple beans on uh, on the underdog, that's why you would do it because you're, you're hoping that the guy's still not ready. Now. He's still fragile, and he could get caught something, and he could, he can unravel right in front of you in the ring. Um, you know, the ghost could come right back to the, you know, to the Belfry, the ghost of Ruiz. So, but at the end of the day, Joshua has been better through his career, looked better through his career when he's looked better. And I'm going to go with Joshua, uh, as I said, to either win a decision or do some damage late. So if you like what Teddy has to say, head over to MyBookie, MyBookie.ag. Use the promo code ATLAS for 100% credit on your first deposit up to $1,000. Check it out. Um, I think that for Pulev, he should take a lot of confidence and should, and should get motivated by what Ruiz was able to do to Joshua because if he does find himself in the pocket with AJ, he should be there with confidence and let him go because that's his only chance of winning. He's not going to outbox him. I agree. I, and, and again, to that point, of what or which Joshua's going to show up, the, pre or, uh, the pre-Ruiz or the post-Ruiz, you know, the second Ruiz, uh, when he boxes. If he boxes, I don't see too much of a chance for Pulev, who's kind of cement-footed. He, he's slow on his feet. He's yeah. not, he's not, he doesn't have a lot of agility. So that's not his thing. Yeah. So if you're moving on him, you're going to keep him from delivering for the most part. So if he does that, uh, I, I see it being pretty much a matter of complete control by Joshua getting it done. Not as long as you don't make a mistake uh, along the road. You know, as long as he doesn't uh, take his eye off the road, so to speak, and crash into something, uh, I, I see him. I see him being a man. That'll be a fun one next week. Coming off of uh, the glamour division of the welterweights, now we get a big heavyweight fight the following week. Um, so that's something to look forward to. Something else to look forward to on the um, spectacle side of things. We got Floyd Mayweather announcing he's going to fight Logan Paul, brother of Jake Paul, who was just in action this weekend against Nate Robinson. Logan Paul has one um, 
two fights, one amateur exhibition and one pro fight against another YouTuber, someone named KSI. I don't know much about these guys. I guess he's a British YouTube personality, but he lost that pro fight. <clears throat> same, again, same guy. One, <clears throat> excuse me, one was an exhibition, one was a pro fight. Uh, Paul lost the decision in the pro fight. And now Floyd's coming out, um, you know, for a money for a money grab. Logan Paul, just as an FYI, weighed in. I think at like one ninety nine, one eighty nine, maybe against um, one eighty nine against KSI. Floyd weighed in at like one fifty for his last fight against um, against McGregor. I don't see how they come together and find a middle ground there. F Floyd probably weighed as much as he could. He's not a big guy, and uh, G uh, Logan Paul is a big guy, but. I don't know. I, this just doesn't excite me. It doesn't interest me, but it is what it is, and people care about it, so we're going to talk about it. Um, what are your thoughts? First of all, forget get away from the uh, spectacle part of it just for a second. When, when you're a better fighter, a real fighter, you can give up weight. You can. I mean, when you're the better fighter throughout the annals of this sport, smaller guys are beating bigger guys when they were, when they were technically better. And now you're talking about a guy who's not a fighter. So if you're a fighter at the level of Floyd, you can give up the weight and, and still, you know, it, it might look like, it, it might be another sales point to sell the pay-per-view that, wow, he's going in there with a bigger guy. But the reality is that the advantage is all still for, for the guy who knows how to fight and knows how to behave like a fighter who's been a fighter and a champion fighter, you know, his whole career, most of his career. Um, so that's, I mean, that's the reality <coughs> of that. Um, but there's a phenomenon going on now with these things. And it's a cult, it's a cult thing. It's becoming bigger. Uh, and it's definitely, Listen, this is the money grab. Make no doubts about it. I mean, if they want to throw another $100 million at Floyd, why wouldn't he take it, you know? Yeah. And a lot of people might knock him and say, hey, hey, he's disrespecting the sport. Well, he respected the sport, Floyd, for many, 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 his whole life, 25 years, whatever. He respected the sport. And he's earned the right to grab some... A lot of extra money. I was going to say some extra money, but he's taking a risk. Uh, he in, in the realm of you know in the gladiators you know realm in the real realm with real fights, not spectacle fights. So you know I don't begrudge anybody making money unless they're hurting somebody to do it. Uh, but I will point out my views on you know what it is and. It's a phenomenon. It's, uh, you know, it all started. The start for this stuff, really, the genesis of it was celebrity boxing years ago. And that didn't go too far. And then there was fantasy camps where you could go away to a camp, pay X amount of money to be in a world of, your heroes to train, you know, whether it was getting a batting cage with, with Hank Aaron and Willie Mays and going on a field and catch passes from Joe Montana. That's where the stuff was born from. 
But they ran their course. It was limited. The success of it, there was a there was a ceiling that wasn't that high. The ceiling is very high on this. And they're making big money. And I think there's a reason for it. I think the reason for it is that a lot of young people, a lot of whether millennials, whatever you want to identify it as, but it was one thing to go to a fantasy camp, but they didn't really connect. Like you're in there with around the, but they never were going to be connected to those guys, those guys that were special, that were gifted, that trained 20 years to hold those skills as a football, basketball, baseball, hockey player, whatever. These guys they can connect with. They're their guys. They play video games with them. They're, they're like, if, wow. Mike, they're, they're guys. All of a sudden now, they're out there. It's, it's like it's having a fantasy camp or celebrity match where now you're in the ring with them. You're, you know, you're part of it. Because it's, again, it's, it's people from your generation. It's people that aren't out there throwing a fastball 100 miles an hour, which you could never hope to do. But you can attach yourself to this. Again, it's, it's guys that, that are doing what you're doing. They're playing video games, and now they're taking the video games to the next level, and they're taking them into the ring. Real human video games. Video games with human beings. Wow. That's quite a concept. And I think that's why this thing is caught like fire. Because these guys have 20 million, 40 million followers, from what I understand with the YouTube stuff. And they're a pie pipe, but these guys, these fans are right there. Right there on their coattails. What the? One interesting thing about this is, and I saw um, Jake Paul, the brother of Logan Paul, who's the one who's going to fight Floyd. I get them confused all the time. but So Logan's going to fight him. Jake Paul was on the uh, Dave Portnoy's podcast, which I heard you on this week. Great spot, by the way. And uh, Dave Portnoy has, has done a great job, and he does a great job of embracing everything that's topical, including this whole YouTube world. He's got the, the podcast that you were on, BFFs, with Dave Portnoy and uh, I think a young kid named Josh Richardson, who I had never heard of until Dave Portnoy brought him on. And Dave had um, Jake Paul on, and Jake Paul had a good point. He said, hey, these boxers are pissed off, and people are angry that I'm getting this fight. Guess what? You can be me, too. You can have a YouTube following. You can have a, a social media following. And I say to the boxers out there, to the Errol Spence, Anthony Joshua, like, we're here. We're, we'll provide you a platform to get in front of boxing fans. We have hundred and almost 150,000 YouTube subscribers, 22 million total views on YouTube. Hey, you want to get your name out there and your voice out there? We can provide a platform to a small extent to some of these people. We have an open invite to all these guys. People write to me all the time and say, have this guy, have that guy. We have an open invitation to every boxer out there that has a fight coming up. You want to talk about your fight. You want to get your name out there. You should be doing all the media stuff that you can to raise your profile to the level of a Floyd and a Logan Paul so that people know who you are. They want to follow you. They want to watch your fight. 
With that being said, Teddy, what do you, how do you see this playing out? I think I know what you're going to say with Floyd with his defensiveness and counter-punching and not want to rush in there with a big, strong guy. But what do you think happens in this fight? How do you see it playing out? Listen, first of all, they, the pause from what I can see, they're taking it serious. They're not disrespecting the sport. I know a lot of people are saying, and I get it, that the sport's being disrespected, boxing's being disrespected. I, I get it. But they're, they're training in an earnest way, in an honest way, and they're learning the best they can. And they're boxing with guys. That, that's why, you know, Nate Robinson got knocked out because Paul at least was in there training with fighters, learning what the environment feels like, what it could do to you, how it could destroy you, uh, how the ninjas come over the wall when you're in that ring and they, they could just take you apart where you can't think, you can't see, you just run into danger instead of controlling yourself where you can handle the danger in the right way, the way fighters do. So I'm not making them what they are. I'm just saying what they are. The guys that at least put the time in to learn the sport and to respect it in training the right way to get ready for what they're doing. But let's be clear about something here what they're not doing they're not going in there with spence with crawford with uh canelo i mean they're not going in there with prime fight they're going in there with a guy who's 43 years old who's been retired for the last five six seven years basically on and off uh been gone it'll be another few years that he was gone before he gets back in the ring now Floyd's a great fighter but it's not the same Floyd. And it's also a Floyd that, as I said, not the style of a Spence, not the style, you know, of a Crawford, not the style of a Canelo who's going to go get you. It's a guy who lays back. So if you're going to pick a spot, it's a good spot. It's a good spot. It's smart. You know, you, you're managing your way. you yeah, you use your noodle. So it's a good spot where, just like it was a good spot for McGregor. I know McGregor got stopped eventually, but he had his moments because Floyd was laying back, looking at counter. I know some people are going to say, Teddy, come on, he, he carried him. No, he didn't. Floyd doesn't do that. No, he didn't. He, it's just that Floyd's not a go-catcher guy. It took him a couple rounds to realize, I got to go get the guy. He's, not, he's got a long reach. He's a southpaw. And he's, he's had experience in the striking world. And he knew how to, to use that experience, to stay outside, to survive rounds. And he didn't. He won rounds. I was there ringside covering it for, for ESPN. He won that. After four rounds, I had, I had McGregor win it. Rightfully so. But then Floyd started coming forward, breaking him down, and did what he did. But that's why they're picking Floyd. And Floyd has the name and obviously the prestige, the, the marquee, to get the zeros at the end of the check. Um, so, but that's not what it's not. It's not them just coming in and saying, hey, I want to fight, you know, an active fighter who's, you know, uh, MO is to go get you. No, there's a, there's a reason why they're going the way they're going. And that 
that should be pointed out. Uh, and then what should also be pointed out when you ask me for what I think about the fight, Paul is not McGregor. McGregor lived in a combat world. McGregor was a combat guy. He was real. He was the champ of two UFC divisions at the time. I well, mean, he's like a, a legitimate killer. He's a yeah. legitimate fighter. And yeah, I know he wasn't a boxer. People say, hey, Teddy wasn't a... I know that. But he lived in the realm of fighting. He was a fighter for years. Tremendous fighter in his realm. And he knew how to strike. And a tremendous striker in his realm. So he was experienced in that realm, in that world, where he's used to what it feels like when the devil knocks at the door, you know, in those kind of moments. So it's a whole different animal from him and Paul, who's a guy that the last couple of years has been training. Uh, and again, I give him respect, or I give him, I give him credit for that that he's respecting the sport and he's tried to do it right. But he hasn't made a living in this sport. He's not a guy that is what McGregor is. So, Floyd's 43. Um, Floyd's not going to go right after him. Floyd's going to figure it out. What's that mean? The real, coming from a person who's going to tell you real. It means he's going to buy him some rounds. It means that the people on the internet that are putting stuff out there that he's going to get knocked out in one round. No, he's not. Whether that, that upsets you, I'm sorry. I can't help you. I can't. I mean, go get some A-locks. It's, you know, it's, what's it, about $4? Go down, to, go down to the drugstore, buy a bottle of A-locks, maybe some Excedrin. <laughs> you know, that's all I can tell you. If it's, if it's going to give you an upset stomach and a headache, things about that this is happening to your sport. I understand. But I also understand that it's entertainment and it's, it's part of what's going on. It's the, it's the 2020s. Things are different. Things are different. And I think people look, young people look for instant gratification. They look for action. They look for something they can attach to. They can attach to. That could be them. That could be that. That could be me. I was, geez, I'll play, uh, I, you know, and I'm not saying them getting in the ring, but them doing something else. That, that's the draw. That's the fixation. That's, that's the genius of the promotion. Uh, and they are geniuses, these promoters with this stuff. I understand the people that are, where it starts to look like a circus. I, I understand that. But, I'm trying to put perspective on all dimensions of this. And I think, to be fair, you have to. And the trick here is, they're, again, they're not getting in with the Spencers or the Crawfords or the Canellos or the Inouyes or the Tank Davises. <laughs> the Tank Davis can punch you. You know, and he's going to go get you. Um, you know, they pick a spot that makes sense to make money and to feed into the phenomena that's going on now. You know, the craze that's out there right now. Um, right? I mean, is it that different than the hula hoop? I mean, <laughs> really, I'm just, the hula hoop came along years ago, right? And everyone was doing the hula hoop. You know, it was the craze. It was the thing. 
And right now, this is a, this is a, a craze, a, a craze where people with 20 million, 40 million followers give them credit. I don't know how the hell you get 40 million followers. God. <laughs> but, oh my God. But this is, this is the progression of the, the next step in, in making that work, that, that following that you work to cultivate, right? It's the next step, the next progression in taking it to the next place. It's like the Matrix. It's like the Matrix, the movie The Matrix. That was a, that was a real, somebody with a hell of an imagination, right? Thinking ahead of the internet, where it's going, right? Where is, where is it, it's going? Where it's headed? Where it's exploding? The universes of, of, the, of the, the internet. Where, where does it stop? And this is almost kind of like the Matrix. When you go into the, when you go into the matrix, you go into the internet, and you're performing in the internet, <laughs> right, Ken? Yeah. I mean, you're you're in the internet. These are guys with the YouTube following of forty million people, and now they're getting in a ring, but it's a connection to the internet, and you're connecting with all these people. Now, you know, before it even starts, you've got 40 million people you're connected with. Could you imagine if you did 40 million pay-per-view buys? I mean, you could, you could buy, you could buy, you could buy Saudi Arabia. You, he'd only need 10% of his followers to break all the pay-per-view records. I mean, if they could sell 4, 4, 4 million pay-per-views between him and Floyd, that's incredible. I mean, also, if you look at the success that, um, speaking of Dave Portnoy at Barstool, look at the success they've had with the Rough and Rowdy series where they put basically amateurs in to fight with each other. And to be honest, I like watching those fights because they're amateurs. Both sides are amateurs. They're in there like you would like your analogy with the doggy paddle. They're all in there flailing. No one's. I haven't seen anyone get really hurt. I haven't seen any mismatches that were too bad. But they're entertaining because neither guy really knows how to box. Um, let me let me just say interject one thing with when we yeah go ahead. Somebody else and what I'm saying is Rob, pull it up for us. But <laughs> because they're just gonna keep coming out and you know people are gonna see the money. And they're going to come out. Really? How can you not? They're going to say, hey, wait a minute. Let me, let me grab some of this. You know, yeah. Clarissa Shields now has come out. Yeah. 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 It's, I just want to give you that little news memo. She's come out now. Rob will pull it up. I'm sure it's out there. And she wants to, I think she used a word that I'm not going to use. You know, it's, it's not, but I just don't want to use it. I don't think I have to curse on this show. So, not that it's a bad, bad word, but she just said she's going to kick the, you know what, <laughs> if he wants, if he wants her. Come to me, she said. Come to me. Now, that's another twist, a female. Oh, you know, <laughs> it's, so it doesn't end. This stuff, it's, it's not going to stop. The point she's I'm also making, said she's going to fight in an uh, MMA fight. She joined, I think, the, um, uh, one of the fight leagues. Yeah, yeah, but that's going to take a little time, I guess. PFL, right? Training, whatever. Kind of yeah, like, yeah. yeah, she said she's working with John Jones or at least training with him. Yeah, well, she wants to. She wants to fight in a boxing match. You know, one of these 
just like they're doing with Mayweather. Um, yeah. she, she wants to call out Paul, say, I'll kick you. <laughs> <laughs> you That'd know, be pretty entertaining. Yeah, whatever. But I said it already. I never begrudge anyone making money. Make as long as you're not hurting no one. I, I usually never tell anyone how to spend their money. And I'm not telling you how to spend your money. Maybe I am. But uh, it's not meant that way. It would be nice if, and maybe it's being done already, Ken. But it'd be nice if some of that extra dough, you know, um, could go to some charitable courses. And maybe it is already. But it would be nice as another dimension of it if some of that was put aside to go to help the people that are in tough situations in this country to to help to help a little bit um a little bit extra maybe they're doing it floyd's a good man as far as i know i i have no reason to think the paul's holding good people i'm just saying it's and maybe they're already doing it maybe the people around them are already figuring it out but that's why i just it's it's coming towards the holidays and um i was just thinking yeah well what i was going to say about the ufc is if you're a fan of street fights and a fan of tough fights there was uh the main event in the ufc it reminded me of watch a bit of watching like a high level street fight of two guys just literally trying to punch the crap out of each other standing toe-to-toe -to -toe, exchanging punches not much defense and it was interesting uh martin vittori scored a um unanimous decision over Jack Hermanson and what's interesting there is Jack Hermanson during the course of the fight suffered a broken toe uh, and a broken orbital bone kept fight until the end I mean there wasn't a break in the action just constant face punching and kicking it was a vicious fight credit to both guys credit to Mar 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 Marvin Vittori for the win credit to Jack Hermanson for showing such great toughness I know you had a chance to watch this one I hear you want to get your thoughts on that one before we sign off. You know what we, you know what it did? It reminded me of a Christmas toy that I had to make sure I had on my grandson's Christmas list. Rock'em Sock'em Robots. <laughs> and not just, oh my God. And with nothing but complete respect, admiration, or really, uh, I'm, I'm humbled every time I watch these guys and their toughness and what they're willing to give um, to get to where they're trying to get to and how willing they are to go to places that most of us would never even dream of going to and, and, so, and, and to keep Raising the bar every time I see these guys, like they've always gone to these new places, but then they go to another new place. It's like it's it's a great lesson, really, in life. That who's to say how far a man can go or a person can go? Can who's to say? Who's to be the judge of that? To say, yeah, you went far enough. Well, maybe I didn't. Oh, that, uh, nobody's ever done that. That's a, well, who says I can't? They're willing to explore new places all the time of how 
Moi, tu t'inquiètes le droit. What they can discover, where they can go, how great they can be. It's, it's an amazing quality in them. Um, it amazes me every time I see them. Just like great fighters in my sport. Really. I mean, you know, watching, go watch the drill in Manila. You know, Frazier and Ali, just mind-boggling what, what the human spirit can endure when it has a mission to endure, to find, to conquer. And that's the word I think of, really, because it goes back to our primal beginnings. When... From the very beginning, the one thing that I think that we've retained what our primal ancestors had 10,000 years ago, whatever, the desire, the need to conquer, to either basically the, just the pure primal instincts at the most at the most basic place in our existence, conquer or be conquered. <laughs> conquer, and that don't mean always with fists. It means with this, it means with this, with this, your heart, you know, to fight for your family, for their benefit, for whatever, whatever your cause is, but conquer or be conquered. Wow. And that's, I see it every time I watch these guys. And um, Hermanson, Hermanson, uh, he gets dropped in the first round by Vittori, who's the southpaw. He gets dropped in the first round, Ken. And then Vittori decides to go to the mat and he tries to submit him. Almost looked like he did. He had it looked like in a guillotine a couple of almost had him and came very close to submitting him. Second round, similar. Some on a match, some standard. All again for Tory. I mean Hermanson took a real beating the first round. Probably a 10 8 for me, a 10 8 round. That's how significant. I thought the ref was going to stop it. He had like if he had kept ground and pounding him, I thought the ref was going to jump in. He had him real. He dropped him bad, real bad. And then he survives. He's got a tough second round, like I said. Then they decide they just stand the rest of the night, basically. In the third round, remarkably, Hermanson wins it, and they're just rock 'em sock 'em robots from this point on. They're just they're just going head to head, total head. Toe to toe, and you got the southpaw Vittori. He's got the reach, he's got better control, better height, but better control of the outside, a little better form, but better control of the range. And he's outside and he's using his southpaw power punch, the back, you know, the backhand punch where he can turn it into it, the left hand. He's pot shotting with that, 
and he's landing straight, boom, straight like a laser, like an arrow, boom, boom, boom. He's landing these on Hermanson's chin. And Hermanson is now realizing, all right, this outpour killer is the right hand. I got a time of work. And he starts landing right hands. Boom, boom, boom. And he got boom, 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 boom. Oh, my God. Take this. Take that. No, you take this. No, you take that. No, you. Can you handle this? Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll show you a pad. I'll raise. I'll show you three of a kind. I'll raise it to. I mean, they just kept raising the stakes. And it was like watching, as I just touched on, it was like watching a great poker game where, okay, I'll, raise, I'll see you and I'll raise you, I'll raise you 500. Yeah, I see that and I'll raise you a thousand. I see that. And I'll it was like watching an unbelievable poker game without the pain, <laughs> without the pain. And maybe the pain when you lose, but without the physical pain. And on top of it all, he got a broken orbital bone, he being Hermanson, right? We got to yep. say that. He got a broken orbital, but he just kept coming. They just, there was no give in either one. The edge, the last couple rounds, like I said, I had Hermanson in the third round. I had the fourth and fifth. Fifth was very close. I gave it to Venturi, uh, Venturi. And it was just, wow, a magnificent display of toughness and resiliency and heart, resolve, determination. You know, just when, when you try to explain simple saying in life, uh, like the great Stuart Scott said before he passed away from cancer, the great Jimmy Valvano said, and they're raising millions of dollars in these two men's uh, names for cancer research. Magnificent. They always said, don't quit. Don't ever quit. Don't ever give up. Well, nobody expresses it better than these guys. Nobody. Nobody. And um, we, we had to talk about it. For, we have our UFC audience. But even if we didn't, you have to give homage, pay homage to such behavior. That was a. Uh, it's worth noting too that Hermanson also broke his toe uh, early in the fight and said as a result he couldn't shoot for a takedown. So we so when he was starting to lose those last two rounds, the option of trying to go for a takedown to stop some of the stem some of the flow from um, Vittori, he couldn't do it. And you saw at the end of the fight when he got up and finally was able to show that he was hurt, he could barely walk. And Ken, is it fair to? to kind of go off of what we're talking about now. Because I know every situation is that situation. And I know every person is their own person, their own way of what they feel they have to do. I, I, I understand. But when there's that argument, that two-sided argument, Ken, that we talked about a week ago, uh, where you had the fighters, the heavyweights, uh, 
fighting in London, I believe. They were both uh, uh, Joyce and, um, and I believe Dubois. And Dubois was winning the fight, winning the fight. And then in the tenth round, he was taking some hard shots, but in the tenth, his eye closed. And it turned out that he had a broken orbital bone too, just like um, Hermanson. Yeah. But he's he decided to take a knee. And and again, I don't. I'm not saying anything except that's his choice. That's his choice. His mind is thinking, I, I, maybe I'll be blind or whatever. That's his choice. But just for the argument, because we had a lot of people that watched that broadcast and they respond to it. And some people say he should have fought. And other people say, no, you know, you got to live today and fight another day, right? Survive today and live to fight another day, whatever that expression is. But it's just a great example that you can't fight on. That's all. I, it is a choice, but you can. If this guy could, with bare knuckles, well, four-ounce gloves, the fighter shoots 10-ounce. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that and, and I'm not knocking the guy. I'm not saying he made the choice for him. But if people say, well, Teddy, you know, how can he fight? Well, watch this, and maybe you can figure out how. <laughs> That's a fair point. Very fair point. Well, Teddy, we covered a lot today. I know you're not feeling well, so I appreciate you doing this on a Monday. Um, take care of yourself, feel better. Guys, we'll be back with you next week. Talk about the Joshua Pulev fight. If you like the fight, please check out my bookie, mybookie.ag. Use the promo code Atlas. Teddy, you got anything before we say goodbye? I just want to tell everyone, stay safe, care about each other. It starts at home with your family. You know that already. You don't need Teddy Atlas to tell you that. But care about others outside your home too whenever possible. And um, just uh, if you have a great holidays, we're going to talk to you before that, but have a great holidays. And if you happen to be those people playing video games, don't get in the ring. <laughs> I love this. Very, very good. All right, guys. Thanks for being with us.